0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tent Talks. We're here with Ashley Thalman joining us for part two. Hi. Hi. (laughs) If you haven't listened to our previous episode, go ahead and do that. We're talking about spiritual awakenings and what that looks like, what that means. And I guess to just start fresh, let's define what we're talking about. What is a spiritual awakening? What does that mean? Because we mentioned in the previous episode that there's like lots of definitions of it. And of course, we all have this like weird vision in our head of what that could look like to arrive. And there is no arrival. But what I think it is, and then Ashley, maybe we can That's great. have what you think it is. What I think a spiritual awakening is, is realizing that there is an observer inside of yourself That can pause and make decisions that you're not just operating on your MO, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that you have choice, and that you're not fully your body, because you're your thoughts, you're your emotions, you're operating inside of a body, but you're also not your thoughts because you can think about your thoughts, You can say, oh my gosh, I was thinking this thing. So it's the separation beyond what you've always identified as you or what Mm -hmm. I have always identified as me. I'm something beyond me. Mm
1: -hmm. And And part of something beyond you. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's what I would identify as a spiritual awakening. So then if you identify that you're something outside of that or beyond it and still the thing that you thought you were originally, then you have this play freedom and this creativity and this access to more choices.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is waking up to your existence beyond the programming by recognizing that there's programming, recognizing that there's this right, wrong, good, bad that you've been existing in, but that it hasn't been creative and it hasn't been playful. And I think when, you know, when we are talking about this, it's like, Spiritual awakening, how to define that. Yes, it's not a single occurrence. I think that we can say there are occurrences that bring things to our awareness that were in the dark, like something being brought to light that was in the dark and giving definition and also understanding of both and not dark and a bad and not light and a good, but just understanding that as we're expanding, we come from not knowing to knowing and that that's continuous. And awakening, I think, can look like really painful. Like looking around and seeing what we've made of ourselves, looking around and seeing who in our head do we ascribe our life to? Like what agreements did we make to be a certain way and how long that carried us forward and recognizing fully we don't have to do that anymore. And how scary that is because that's the only thing we know. And like the way that our parents raised us is the only thing they knew. And then turning anger toward that and feeling deep feelings we've never been allowed to feel because we didn't allow it of ourselves. Because we were told we couldn't feel those things because we didn't feel safe in feeling them. And then saying, okay, I felt that feeling now and I didn't die. And I can keep moving forward and that it never never ends like there are breaks you know I think in our community there's a lot of people talking about like quote-unquote doing the work and I think that that while it is perpetual I think it shows up like if we were on a moving sidewalk like a thing in the airport you know that carries you from point a to b things will just show up like you'll be going a little faster than a person you'll be going a little slower you'll pass a thing sense and feelings will come through and that there's a Like you said, a kind of experience of being inside of the observer mind where you see things happening and you get to choose with more and more accountability and more and more sovereignty. Like, do I want to make a choice to keep doing this thing and recognizing that the cost of dismantling is your birthright? The cost of letting go of certain things, the cost of hurting somebody, you know, because they expected something of you is... The painful part of awakening and then once you move through that pain it's like oh it didn't hurt so bad I'm still here mm-hmm. that part of me that thinks that part of me that feels is bigger than my fear of what people would think if I did that thing like I'm still here
0: yeah one small example of that is I started saying no to obligatory family dinners every Sunday and I didn't realize it was an obligation until I realized it was an obligation. Mm-hmm. It was just what you did. You go home on Sunday and you have a family dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, then there started to be this discomfort of I didn't want to do that. And there were other things I wanted to do. And then there became this courage piece of, well, I could say no. What would it look like to say no? And then, then you say no, and then you go through the pain of disappointing people and having people think that you don't like them. And it's like, no, I just want to build a relationship that's not based on this thing where I felt like I didn't have a choice. Like, let's build an intentional place of connection instead of this obligation.
1: And that it begins with you, right? Yeah. Because in the previous episode, we talked about this idea of going into the family party and saying, I can see so-and-so needs a little extra attention. I can see mom needs me to do this. And I'm going to rescue everybody. And look, I have a role. But sometimes your role is giving other people permission to not participate. Mm -hmm. And when we continually look to the outside to say, let's be more intentional. We're not being intentional. And so it begins with you, as within, as with you, so with all. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a terrifying thing to touch because if we are super focused on the brokenness of everything around us, like – that's coming from somewhere inside. But when we start turning and attuning our focus to how everything's beautiful and works and it's integrated and that we can say no. And that when someone says no to us, it's not a value judgment Mm -hmm. on who we are. There is some increasing freedom, awakening to the freedom, awakening to the dualistic nature of everything and how there's like a middle way. And I experience that middle way as the observer, just non-action even. Like as a recovering rescuer helper, non-action is increasingly becoming my default because then when I do act, it feels a lot more powerful and intentional, like you say. Yeah. Ashley, one
0: time you told me something that I think about regularly, and I don't quite know it to be true with ease. I know it to be true with discomfort, but it's that I don't owe anything to anybody else and nobody else owes anything to me.
1: That's hard. That's a really hard one. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I know that with ease either. You know, it's good to practice that and that permission giving to other is great because I think, again, as without So Within, like I can't say that enough. But I I had a huge kind of bitch slap moment from my friend Erin a while ago as I was integrating some things and I just left EMDR and I called her to process and I said, what do you think it is? And she said, I think there is a part of you that wanted everything you have now. And because you're so used to perceiving it as receiving it from someone else, you think now that you have those things that it's your job to give those things to other instead of having them for yourself.
0: Mm. And it's like,
1: Oh, I don't have to give that to anyone else just because I have it. Right. The example was like having a welcoming home. Like, like, Does that mean I have to orient myself to welcoming other people to stay and to have a safe place? Or can that safe place be for me? I mean, it can be both. But where I've been so oriented to, you know, so many of my years wishing for a rescuer and so many years being the rescuer, it's like, it's nice to just be in the welcoming, kind place for myself,
0: you Mm. know? One of my friends, she has tattoos and she doesn't tell anybody else what they mean. And it's just a thing between her and herself. It's like you creating a home and a safe, welcoming home just for you. Mm -hmm. It's here just for
1: me. It welcomes me. Like to be the lover and the beloved all within self. To be the, Uh yeah, to be like the mother and the child. Mm -hmm. And we are. Like, it's not hard for me to get back in my story and feel like the child. Like I can do it right now. And feel this kind of childlike wonder and be taken care of. But then simultaneously, I know that because of accountability and my consciousness, constantly as a light being turned up, I can also be the caretaker of that child. And I can say, all right, like we're going on this journey together. I'm going to take you and I'm caring for you. We're all here. All of me are here. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see like my curious child at play. Sometimes I see my wounded child at play. Like we talk a lot of that like in our world, right? The wounded inner child. What about the like anarchist, crazy little shit child? You know, what about them? It's like, let's not leave them over here just because we're so oriented toward wounding and healing. It's like, what about that like 16-year-old who was like, you know, fuck this and fuck that. And the whole system's stupid. And why do you care so much? Like, what about nurturing that piece? I think when we orient so much toward healing healing. It's like sometimes <laughs> healing is like bringing forth the badass that you have pushed over to the side because now you're a grown up. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, sure, you're a grown up. You're also a, a very old person. Plus, you're like a monk. Plus, you're, you know, who ne- yeah. how, who knows how many experiences we've had that have been just like all the experiences of every other kind of being on every level of incarnation in this fractal whatever. And like you said, it's like the self. Oh, I can call that up right now. I often talk to my higher self and say, What are we going to do here?
0: The we. I love it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because it is we. Like, Mm -hmm. I feels weird. But I do like the expression that Christ said of, like, I am. I am that I am. Or in a more punk way, I am whatever you say I am. Like, I'm not you. I'm not what you think about me. That's you. And together we're we and we can commune together. And that's, you know, back to what we talked about last episode about love. And sometimes we have to do things from love that are so horrible. Yeah. You did something. I did something. It felt horrible.
0: Yeah, you felt like the bitch, but it was <sighs> it was the loving part of you that was coming forward. Yeah, you want me
1: to tell that story? Yeah, okay. I do. So... I've kind of touched on the fact that I've felt like quite hermit these last couple of years because a lot of this waking up, it's like I sometimes don't really know how to be in the world as a result of it. And I find myself sometimes othering the world or like othering myself, like nobody gets this, Mm. you know, like no one knows what I'm going to talk about if I talk about how there's no good or bad. But then you say it and people are like, yeah, duh, (laughs) you know, like we've all been talking about that while you've been away, (laughs) you know. So yeah, I've been really trying to take opportunities to speak, like to be seen, to show up and to be wrong and to contradict myself and to just even regret, to do things and then regret them and learn and whatever and be a little bit more, take a bit more ownership of that participation with life rather than kind of turning away because I'm trying to hide myself from the pain part. Yeah. And this week I took one of my children who did not want braces. Like, I don't like the phrase, Do you need braces? Do you think your child's going to need braces? Like, need (laughs) braces? Like, are you asking me if I think my child needs straight teeth? I mean, you and I both, are you a recipient of childhood orthodontia? No, I'm not. You have such straight teeth. I don't remember what my teeth looked like, but I don't remember having any consent. It was like, you need braces. Mm. And like, that's fine. Do I have TMJ? Yes. Are my teeth straight? Yes. Am I grateful to my parents for doing their best? Yes. But I've always told my children, like, Unless you guys really want that, it's not a need. And so, ironically, we come to find out that one of my children does need it because of this, like, tooth that's stuck. And there's an extra tooth. And they have to get that taken down. And to get that taken down, they have to make space through braces so this other tooth can come down, right? And if not, it could cause an abscess, could cause a tumor in their mouth, whatever. So it's like, ah, shit. Well, I guess you do need braces. (laughs) And there was a lot of kicking against the pricks on both our parts. And then we decide, okay, let's do it. So we go to this orthodontist. We've been doing it for months. I, through a series of events, I take my child to this appointment. And as we're getting it all done. There's this new device that needs to be put in their mouth and it's deeply uncomfortable. And I can tell my child's uncomfortable and I'm trying to allow them to be uncomfortable, but I'm also trying to ease that discomfort by saying, you know, you're going to get used to it. I know it's trying to validate and and show a little bit of comfort. And as the assistant or whoever's doing the, the rubber bands is finishing up, they're either observing through my showing up or through my child's body language that this is uncomfortable. And they start to try to rescue and help. And they say, you know what? This is gonna be, you're doing such a great job. You're gonna get used to it. It's okay. I'm almost done. Uh, You'll be out of here in a couple of minutes. And you know, don't forget, we have to experience pain to be pretty. You have to go through, you have to do, what's the saying? It's like pain, pain, no pain, no gain. Oh yeah, pain is beauty. And no pain, no gain. And just kept going. And my child is like looking down at me. I'm sitting at their feet and they're like putting these big bug eyes like, Mom, what the fuck? And I'm sitting there. I immediately feel myself dissociating. You're just
0: like going somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I'm just like, this is what happens in a broken world. Mm-hmm. People have really weird, you know, and 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 we can't judge them, right? I just start really distancing myself from this moment. I'm like breathing i'm observing that i'm leaving and i'm trying to call myself back like you know this person is probably 20 years younger than you they don't understand but that doesn't give them permission like they work for you you know in that this is a transaction in the truest sense they work for you and what they're saying is harmful not to someone to your child and your child knows that this is harmful and out of alignment with how you know we exist, but what am I going to do? And my child's there. My child really can't say much, right? Like, yeah, this they're getting person, their mouth. Right. Their mouth's wide open. And this mm-hmm. person is in a position of power and authority with mm-hmm. these tools. And what I didn't know is as this person was putting the rubber bands on, they kept snapping my child with the rubber bands. Like, my child said they weren't even good at their job <laughs> later. <laughs> but I was able to bring myself back, and my child got up and was just filled with anger and I was eager to get out of there and I thought I can either make the decision to exercise my voice which is something I've been working on and practicing or I can leave but I know what leaving without saying something does and and to risk to show up
0: You might make a mistake. Say something, you know, with emotion or shame or, you know, there is a risk in using your voice. You know the path of not using your voice. So you're taking a chance by using your voice. Yeah.
1: And to, you know, kind of enliven that point, this winter, I had an encounter with a family member where I did use my voice. And later that family member said, I can't ever be around you when you are experiencing that much anger ever again. Like that's a big boundary for me. And we were in a small group and I asked someone else was I was that like harsh? No, you were just being really direct. It's like I guess I guess everyone experiences things differently and I have to respect how they were experiencing it, but it did feel really useful to me and that kind of sent me on this path of exercising my voice more. So, yeah, big risk. And I could be the wrong one. But it could feel right to me and that like kind of dialing back the morality and Being more playful, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the fun, playful mom who like says something right now. Yeah, I'm going to like say something, and also my child is at this age where I don't have too many more years of showing up in that way. And I feel like what we see, we learn, and I want my child to be able to stand up for themselves as they get older. So, you know, my child gets up, goes to wash their hands, rinse out their mouth, and I walk over. And I didn't want to embarrass them in front of their colleagues or whatever. And so I kind of lowered my voice. We were in this big pit with all these people. And I kind of got down and I said, I recognize that while you were trying to offer my child comfort in a moment of kind of discomfort, telling a child that pain equals pretty, that pain equals gain is very toxic. My child is not here for cosmetic reasons, and even if they were, like – That's a really toxic thing. I need you to know that. And then I'm just shaking and I have to go now. And I turn back and my child is pissed pissed and when my child's pissed i feel like they're pissed at me and i feel myself start to separate and i start to kind of push them away and i start to be a little bit almost like grumpy with them like i do so much for you as your mother you know and i start to sense this kind of martyrdom that i inherited from other family members and how i saw people show up and so now i'm feeling like the rush of like that energy exiting out the throat and it's like okay bring um, are we going to get ice cream? And this part of me is like, no, I'm not taking you to get ice cream, you little shit. You're being mad at me and I stuck up for you. And I do you know how expensive these braces are? I can like hear that voice of how my parents so often showed up and I can feel myself. Because it's uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's uncharted. But yeah. I remember the charted territory when my parent was the parent and I was the kid. I'm not the kid anymore who was like, I'll never treat my kids like that. Like, I'm the parent. And so guess what that means? I'll behave like my parents did, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel that energy start to come in. (sighs) Yeah, let's go get ice cream, but let's go closer to home so that we can get home. That took a lot longer than I thought. (sighs) A couple blocks, and my kid reaches over and says, you know, I'm not mad at you. You know that, right? I'm just mad at what just happened. And I, like, grab their hand. I'm like, I know. I'm mad too. and you know, that was really crazy. And they said something like, why did you say something? You know, like they were upset by the fact that I said something. And I kind of was too, because I'm still questioning. Was that right? Was that wrong? Was that right? And so after they said, you know, I'm not mad at you. And then a couple blocks later, and I'm really glad you said something. It's like, Really, you are? Because I've been so worried that I did the wrong thing. No, I said, what did I even say? And then they told me what I said. And I was like, whoa, that was kind of badass, you know? And then it led to this conversation where I started kind of outing myself of really, really insensitive, unkind, uninformed shit in hindsight that I've said to other people and how I've been lovingly called out or I haven't and I've had to call myself out later and how just, oh my God, painful it is to recognize like you're the villain You can't do anything about it, even if you thought you were in the right, even if you had this intention of loving, you're not always interpreted in the way you want to be. But I did feel happy that I said something because we have a contract and we have to go back there, you know? Yeah. And I don't feel nervous to go back because I said my piece and I did in that moment feel love. And I'm really also proud that I've learned this language of and. Like, I recognize you were trying to help. And it's both. You could have stopped shy of, we're almost done. But whatever it was, you said this thing that was toxic. And you need to know that. You know, maybe they don't need to know it. Maybe I took that a little too far, but like, I need you to know that. I need you to know that so I can continue to come back here and feel safe.
0: Totally. Mm -hmm. I need to say this so that I can live with myself. In these moments of parental modeling to my kid that it's okay and it's safe to use your voice. And to
1: tell me and Mm. like to tell my inner child. Yeah. Look how crazy it is when we use our voice. It kind of, I don't know what it is. Is it like anxiety or something that comes where you're like shaky after? I don't know. That's a weird sensation. It's the adrenaline rush of it. Yeah. I think. I feel like some people do it enough where they don't feel that. I mean, in my mind, I do in a hierarchical over their way. I'm like, yeah, maybe we'll get to a point where I don't feel that rush afterwards. But I I guess there's part of me in this moment that feels grateful for that rush because it gives some dimension to it where I don't want to dissociate so much. I don't feel it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'm grateful for it. I don't know. I
0: think it is a gratitude feeling because – you're recognizing that it was hard for you and you did it anyway. Mm -hmm. It took courage and you did it.
1: Well, you know, I think it's like a pointed and explicit and straightforward example of all of this stuff that we're talking about. But there have been experiences, even scarier is saying those explicit, straightforward things to people that we're in relationships with that like aren't Mm -hmm. just like the hygienist or whatever, where, I mean, I've said so many things to close friends that feel like I feel like it's for me, it's exposure therapy to say really embarrassing things. Because once it's out, it's like going head to head with the monster and it shrinks.
0: Yes, I've learned this a lot in speaking my cringe in speaking. And I think I do this the most with probably my nieces and nephews, because I want them to know that it's okay to change, to reinvent yourself, to practice things, to mess up, and to try again. And so I will often out myself to my nieces and nephews, like, oh my gosh, I'm trying, but sometimes I just make mistakes and it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. And and I point that out to them because because I want them to know what it looks like. And so an example of that is I'll point out when I'm having a panic attack or when I've misspoke something to a family member or if I don't call them back and it takes a long time for me I'll say oh my gosh I I got in my head about it I didn't know like when would be an appropriate time and I know you're in school and I just overthought it and Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that it Mm -hmm. took me so long to get back to you yeah and that's not how I feel about you I just got in my head totally I say that I said that to my niece last week because I I needed to get back with her she had asked me to help her with something and that was so courageous and that was so like I was so proud of her for doing that and then it took me longer to get back with her and then I just kept beating myself up she's reached out and you're now the one not you know answering and so by the time I had finally gotten back to her I just had to address it immediately I'm sorry I got in my head yeah and I love you. And I love that you were courageous to ask me for this thing. And let's talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool. Like when when you said this idea of they reached out because you've been working with this rescuer energy and, mm-hmm. and wanting to put that in its place. And so, you know, whether that was intentional or you did get in your head, you did take a pause one way or another and got into your head about it. And that's not right or wrong, but acknowledging it gives them permission to acknowledge it, gives you permission to be more aware of that. And so when you reach out to someone and they don't get back to you, like you can nudge them, it's okay. Or you can recognize that like, just like you, they're going through all of their stuff. And sometimes they do get in their head too. I find it really challenging increasing awareness and consciousness to extend the same humanity to other people that i'm experiencing for myself um you know yeah it's like that divisive energy that i think is the shadow of individuation because i think we're here to be individuated and have these very this is stacy this is Stacy's parents, this is where she grew up. This is the stories she's told. These are the, you know, joys and abuses that she experiences that create her. I think those differentiations between us sometimes can be so loud and we get so in our head about our own experience that we fail to see that we're all doing that too. Like from a person that we judge as highly unconscious to our parents who don't get it to, our spouse who's not a woman. You know what I mean? It's like we sometimes can divide ourselves beyond the point of individuation when the point is unity through individuation. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. How do you hold those two paradoxes of we are an individual and we are one? How do you do that? I don't know, it's so practice every day. Yeah, It's so tricky to remind yourself, it's okay that I'm having this experience and I'm part of a collective who also has like goals or has its own energy and flow. Mm -hmm. Like when I speak about the orchestration of life, I I think I borrowed that phrase from Deepak Chopra because it made so much sense Mm -hmm. to me. Like there are things that happen. There's an orchestration happening That is something that you could never wield yourself because there's a flow of life. Mm -hmm. And yet within yourself, you can either lean toward the flow or against the flow, Mm -hmm. or you can yeah, tap in into different areas of the collective to show up in community. Mm -hmm.
1: I think with regard to this topic of spiritual awakening, something that You know, and this might be opening another tab, but something that really gives shape and dimension and helps me dig deeper into this experience of growing consciousness or awareness of things, something that orients me in this swinging back of we're all together, we're all one, plus I'm an individual, these paradoxes, is abundance. Like, Mm. you know, I think we focus a lot on the toxic shadow nature of saying everything happens for a reason. Like we immediately go to your abuse as a child happened, uh, you know, for a reason. Like we really extreme that, but like the fact that, you know, like this orchestration is happening not for a reason necessarily, but that it has a divine order is if I keep myself oriented on abundance, there's enough here. There's enough information in this exchange. There's enough in this moment in the, I can really get carried away with like, Will I be fed? Will I have enough money to pay my mortgage or whatever? But if I sit in the abundance of this moment, I'm not hungry right now. I'm not cold or hot right now. Like the now-ness is really this vast portal that's always, always, always. And sometimes it looks mundane and sometimes it looks really extreme. Sometimes it looks like grief. But like whenever I experience something that I thought would be so horrible – there is kind of a cocoon, a kind of a insulation that surrounds and attends those moments that points me personally back to that orchestration, that divine meaning in things. And I think that's something we can only really determine for ourselves and invite the people closest in us to remember and see because it can be toxified and We get so aware of like not wanting to spiritually bypass and not wanting to say everything happens for a reason because that can show up in really shitty toxic ways. It's both. But for me, when I remind myself like this is all part of it, like you weren't here just to be fed. You were here to experience, you know, profound suffering. And that has never stopped. That's not a thing that happened to people back then. It's constant. Always, always, always. And I think. You know, orienting myself with abundance and orienting myself with the fact that I'm going to die, like (laughs) those are really great constant reminders to me of like Mm -hmm. this ends. It kind of gives us beautiful shape even when things are super shitty and I'm really in like the depth of the pain of the grief of life. Yeah. So those are useful to me. Abundance has been really useful. Like I have everything I need right now. It's okay if people don't like me. It's okay if people like me. It's okay if I'm wrong. It's okay if I said that with too much emotion. Like you said the word try, like I can try again. I think sometimes for me, I judge that word of try. Matthew and I have this joke when we're making art of like, you have to try to try, not to try to try. It's like, it's like you gotta be there, but not be there to be there. But that will let you be there so that you're there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's There's like this middle point that sometimes we experience. And I think the last episode you talked about being in alignment. It's like when I myself am in alignment, I feel those in-between points where everything is okay, no matter how horrible and hard it is, and everything is giving dimension to this experience, and that if I orient myself with abundance, remembering that it'll end, and then turn love inward foremost, and then the excess radiates out, that's where I feel like I can keep going, and I can keep like giving my face you know, suffocated in the shit so that I could <gasps> come back and have contrast. Yeah. And th- those moments are – can, we can cultivate them, and they also come for us in the same way that, like, as a Mormon, I would experience, like, the spirit. I've never stopped experiencing the spirit. I just have different names for it now. Mm-hmm. You can call it spirit, whatever. But it's this comfort of, like, you've got this, you're okay, this insulative kind of quality that will come through. And those are the voices I try to amplify in myself and try to cultivate experiences where I hear that because I know at any single point, I'm going to get my face shoved down in the shit again and that that's okay. And that doesn't mean I did something bad or my tryings failed me just because I'm experiencing the dark and hard and heavy and I'm the villain and I did the wrong quote unquote thing again because I, I, I've begun to whew, see the pattern and like, it's all part of it. Mm-hmm. It's part of it. It's part of it.
0: You know, when you're watching a romantic comedy movie and it's like this kissing scene and everything slows, and when you're describing that encapsulated moment of abundance or that insulation that brings you in the moment, that's how I relate to that. It's like you slow down enough to appreciate so then you can like, take that deep breath again and have your Mm -hmm. face shoved in shit. Mm -hmm. But I think awakening or or becoming more present moment is having those insulated moments more frequently Mm -hmm. where you just take a minute and breathe and slow down time and space where the camera goes in slow-mo and you take in the full moment. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel like being in a spiritual awakening is it's orchestrating those slow-mo moments. You appreciate the sunset. You appreciate, congratulate yourself for trying not to try to try Mm -hmm. to try. Mm -hmm. And you just, yeah, you just take a beat. You take Mm -hmm. a minute.
1: Yeah. There've been a couple of moments, you know, when I'm getting into the flow of sharing and talking today, and even with anybody, I have to kind of look away so I can stay in my own energy and express genuinely. But there've been a few moments today where I've been watching you talk or we've made eye contact and it's like, yeah, I'm very aware on the meta level that like there is this other that will be listening to this at some point. You know, we have this friend recording who's in the other room and they can hear us. And so you're aware of this other thing, but that's for me, I don't experience that only when I'm, talking to another person I experienced that in my own life like there's something attending there's like another thing an observer and while that's true something so beautiful about having exchanges like this there's a moment where we can look in each other's eyes and it's like we're the only thing that exists and that is totally fucking true yeah and seeing that in yourself like looking in the mirror you know sometimes I'll look in the mirror and I'm like whoa like how cool you have this face what a weird thing like you didn't make that you didn't ask for that like i could never make you more perfect than you are and it's it's cool and it's like right here in this moment it's not like when i get to rome it's not when i finally get the divorce i've always wanted like those moments when i make x amount of money yeah
0: when i look like this yeah it's, it's now
1: Yeah. yeah it's so cool Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute
0: joy. You are a great
1: person to do a podcast. Oh, thank You're you. so great.
0: Same to you. <laughs> I thank, love you. I love you too. Thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you next week.